Hey guys, what's going on? Welcome to a brand new edition of the Sam Bissell Podcast on the Ambiguous Podcast Solutions. And right now I'm going to be bringing you the latest and greatest going on around the world of Hollywood. Hope everyone is having a wonderful Tuesday. We're almost to Thanksgiving. Hope everyone is getting ready for a festive holiday. A short episode today, not a whole lot was happening probably because of the holiday season. Not a lot of studios want to announce a whole lot of things coming down the pipeline because a lot of studios are probably gearing up for the holiday break. But there are still some things to get into, some surprise announcements coming from Disney+, Plus, along with a surprise announcement coming from Universal in regards to one of their films. And I'm also going to end the show by talking about another film to look forward to on Thanksgiving that you can watch and enjoy with the family, whether it is on Thanksgiving Day or during the extended Thanksgiving weekend. But the first thing that I do want to talk about is to go into something a little bit more serious, and that was something that was revealed yesterday by the outlets, and it was a conversation that John Boyega, who was starring in one of the five anthology films that Steve McQueen is putting out on Amazon Prime called Small Axe, and he's kind of going about doing his duties on on the press tour, giving interviews, and one of the things that was brought up during a BBC interview was the topic of Star Wars. And if you've been following a lot of the the entertainment news that's been going on throughout the year and how it's kind of collided with politics and a lot of social issues, one of the big storylines during the summer was when John Boyega in London, when a lot of the George Floyd situation and, and, and situation was really kind of going on and a lot of protests were happening across the country, and around the world, John Boyega kind of gave this very passionate speech that was backed by so many people and I think really kind of shined a light on him in a way that he's really for a lot of social activism that's going on in the world right now. And then a few months later, he went into an interview with GQ and basically talked about Star Wars and the representation issues that they have in the franchise and what they had issues with in the sequel trilogy, talking about how a lot of the predominantly Caucasian actors and performers in the the sequel trilogy, like Adam Driver and Daisy Ridley, got a lot lot more of the nuanced parts of the storyline, whereas some of the characters such as Oscar Isaacs Poe, Kelly Marie Tran's Rose, and even John Boyega's Finn were kind of pushed to the sidelines after The Force Awakens and didn't have a lot of kind of meeting and didn't have really impactful storylines within that sequel trilogy. And Boyega brought that to light in the GQ article. And over his press tour throughout the last month or so, a lot of people have been asking if Boyega has been in contact with Daisy Ridley and Adam Driver and the higher ups over at Lucasfilm, specifically Kathleen Kennedy. And in this BBC article, he talks about how he did have a conversation with the head of Lucasfilm, Kathleen Kennedy. And this is what he had to say when talking to BBC. So I got on a phone call with Kathleen Kennedy and she verbally showed support and we got to have a really nice, transparent, honest conversation that is beneficial to both of us. I think these kinds of conversations, you can go into the realm of sounding like you're just trying to save your own career But what is great now is that it is a conversation that anyone has access to. Now people can express themselves about this knowing that any character we love, especially in these big franchises like the Marvels and Star Wars, we love them because of the moments that they are given. We love them because of these moments and their heroic moments that these producers all decide for these characters. So we need to see that in our characters that are maybe black and from other cultures. 
And I remember talking about this a few months ago when Boyega made the comments about GQ in GQ about Star Wars, and I completely agreed with where he was coming from, I, and and I did support him in the fact that a lot of the minority actors in their roles were getting a lot of backlash because of their characters. In The Force Awakens with John Boyega, people were some people online were lambasting a stormtrooper being African American, and some people were lambasting Kelly Marie Tran for being in The Last Jedi and not really liking her performance so much. So that they drove her off of social media. And I think th- there, there needs to be an honest conversation about that for all franchises. And that's what Boyega is talking about in this. And I think when you look at over the last few months and even the last year or so, I definitely think there have been strides made towards more inclusion within these big franchises. You look at something like uh, Marvel Studios, they were lambasted and criticized more so now than they were back in the early 2010s when the Iron Mans, the Thors, the Captain America films, the early films were coming out. It's more lambasted now for not being so inclusive, whereas now Kevin, I think Kevin Feige sees that and he's kind, he's trying to reprimand those those errors that he had and fix upon them and he's doing that with more inclusion and representation obviously you could see that leading up to what happened in black panther and how that became a culture phenomenon really showcasing the voices in the african-american community i think you're going to see that in eternals where you're going to have a multitude of different groups of people being represented in that film. You're going to have members of the LGBTQ community represented in this gay couple that are a part of the Eternals. You're going to have somebody that's a deaf person. You're going to have more African-Americans. You're going to have people of Asian descent. There's going to, and Kumail Nanjiani from, from Indian descent, so many different voices within that film that kind of creates this melting pot of what's represented, not just in entertainment, but what really what's represented in the United States, but also around the world. And you're seeing it in films like Shang-Chi, which is more about an Asian American descent and just Asian in general and showcasing that area of culture and, and ethnicity. And then you're seeing it on the Disney Plus side with Miss Marvel showcasing more of, of a Muslim aspect of the world and kind of showcasing that side of culture that people might not know a whole lot about. And also making sure that each of these cultures are represented not just in front of the screen, but behind the screen. Eternals, again, is directed by an Asian woman, specifically Chloe Zhao. You have Destiny Daniel Creighton doing Shang-Chi. You have uh, Muslim Americans working on Miss Marvel. So you have people that are working on these projects that represent the world that we're in right now. And I think you're also starting to see it in the topic of conversation that is being brought up with John Boyega in Star Wars. And I think like Marvel, they are slowly starting to remedy those mistakes that they did in the past. And when you look at something like The Mandalorian, even though he's covered up in a mask and in body armor, it's played, the Mandalorian, Jin Jarden, is played by Pedro Pascal, who represents the Latino community. So you have somebody like that kind of being at the forefront of being the front man of the Mandalorian. And then you have kind of the trio that is marketed as kind of the Luke, Han, and Leia of this show 
as being very diverse. You have an African-American man in Carl Weathers playing Grief Karga and a strong, capable woman in Gina Carano playing Cara Dune. So you have those aspects along with somebody like a Katie Sackoff and potentially what we're going to get with Rosario Dawson in the next few episodes with the character that she's playing. So there's different ethnicities and diversity hires that are really going on and it serves the purpose of the story but also is is right in what we need to do in Hollywood right now. And then you look at some of the rumors that are happening with Obi-Wan Kenobi, some of the supporting actors that are going to be playing opposite you McGregor it sounds like are black individuals and people of color that they want to be represented both on the female and male side of things as well. So I think for the the Mandalorian, for the Star Wars universe, I think Kathleen Kennedy has heard these issues and John Boyega brought them to light. And I think that's where people need to come from. It's more about having these conversations. And even though at, some, at the initial instance, like Boyega was doing in that GQ article, it made it sound like he is lambasting Star Wars and he hates Star Wars and he wants to see Lucasfilm be burned and, and, and kind of be pointed negatively towards it that I really don't think that was what he wanted. He wanted them to, to move forward and, and for anyone else that has an experience on a Star Wars set that everything is progressed and there's more progressiveness towards the industry and in that franchise and I think just Boyega was bringing light towards something that needed to be addressed and it seems like these studios are taking that to heart they're doing the right thing that they need to do with these instances and with these big projects and big properties and do that so I definitely think that this seems like it worked out for the best that this was an honest conversation and I think you're seeing Marvel do that and you're seeing Star Wars do that along with other franchises around entertainment as well and you're looking at what Zack Snyder did with his Justice League I think if we're going to see something kind of of a melting pot even though you have three white actors and Ezra Miller and Ben Affleck and Henry Cavill within the six groups you also have half of them that are very diverse you have a strong independent female woman in Gal Gadot playing Wonder Woman, you have a Samoan in Momoa playing Aquaman, and you have an African-American playing Cyborg. So that is kind of a melting plot that really wasn't executed to the best extent in the Josh Whedon cut of Justice League, but I think in the Snyder cut, we're going to see a better execution of a melting pot within the DC universe, and I think we're going to slowly start to see more representation within that DC universe, whether it's on the television side or on the film side of things as well. So I think progress and representation is is slow paced right now, but I think you're starting to see it happen. And you're starting to see not just happen in these big franchises, but also within something like the Academy Awards, which over the years has been criticized for the handling of diversity and inclusion within the nominations and the winners that they portray. And I think honestly, not just because of the new rules that are in place in the diversity rankings, but but really be, just because it, it's natural, the actual nominees and the winners of this year's Academy Awards could be the most diverse that we have seen in the history of the Oscars. And again, it's not like that it was really forced upon it because of some of the criticism over the last few years. It just naturally was like that between Nomadland with Chloe Zhao, One Night in Miami, The Five Bloods, The Trial of Chicago 7. You have something along the lines like Malcolm and Marie. There's Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. There are so many different films that can break so many records and, and really hold its place in Academy history this year in a time that is very tumultuous right now. I think can be a very, very helpful thing moving forward with the Academy 
and just in general in Hollywood. And these conversations need to happen. It, it can't just be bickering back and forth with one another. It needs to be honest, helpful conversations. And I think in the end, the the criticism that John Boyega laid upon Kathleen Kennedy in the end helped them because it brought Kathleen Kennedy to the table. And it seems like they had a good conversation that Star Wars Lucasfilm are going to bring forth with them for the years to come and having better representation. So I think this was a positive thing. I'm excited about this. And I think we're slowly starting to see in big franchises and in Hollywood that inclusion is slowly starting to happen. That it's not just because, oh, because of George Floyd and, and the Black Lives Matter movement and everything that has happened with the protests over this past year, it's all going to be forced on us. From what I've really been seeing, it's just natural progression that has been happening. That is not just because of this year, but years beforehand that have been building up to what we're going to see, I think, in the next few years. And this is just going to help push that even more towards the foreground, not the background. So I think this is all positive stuff moving forward. And I think in the end, this is this is uh, a positive story in helping have better representation in the entertainment industry. What do you guys think about the news about John Boyega talking to Kathleen Kennedy about representation? Let me know what you think down below and leave your thoughts. The next thing that I do want to talk about in the world of Hollywood is some surprising, or not really some, but one surprising announcement that came in the shuffling of the ever-evolving movie release calendar. And it was announced yesterday that the 355 from Universal, starring Jessica Chastain, Penelope Cruz, Diane Kruger, Lupita Nyong'o, Sebastian Stan, and Edgar Ramirez, is going to be moving from Martin Luther King Jr. Day weekend of this year to the weekend of 2022 to January 15th. And this is a little bit of a of a surprise at first when I heard the news and I think just kind of started to sink into me that we're probably going to have some movements within the first quarter of the release calendar of next year. But when you kind of read the details of why this move happened, it makes a lot of sense because again with Universal, they just struck a whole lot of deals with AMC, with Cinemark and kind of truncating the release window to 17 days or 31 days depending on the successes of some of these films at the box office and putting them on PVOD at a shorter time than initially factored factored into and when you kind of look at the finer details it seems like this wasn't really Universal's decision because I think Universal was ready to release this thing in January but it seems like the other studios and production companies that are behind this have other plans in place because Universal just has the distribution rights for the domestic release. They don't have they don't have control of the international. And according to the reports, the studios and the companies that control the international rights want this thing to come out in a more healthy situation because they feel like this could be a potential worldwide hit, an international hit, and become something of a franchise. So to me, that makes a lot of sense, and I can understand why they would really decide to move it to the year afterwards. But I don't think this is really going to be a a huge colossal hit and i think to me what this kind of demonstrates is that the whenever this movie does come out whether it's next year or some sometime in the future that this film is going to have bigger legs internationally than here in the united states and it could spark a franchise that has more audience 
in other countries than it does here in the United States. And watching the trailer, it looks like an interesting spy thriller, and it's got the all-star cast to lead with it. But when you put a name like Simon Kimberg in, in the director's chair, especially after what he did with Dark Phoenix last year, it's got a bad taste in the mouth. It doesn't really have as much credence as maybe he does as a writer because he does have some good credit on his resume as a writer and I just think as a director it just doesn't really work out it's got action it has some cool looks some good chemistry between the cast but if the story doesn't ring right with this and I think when you have international espionage spy thrillers you have to have a really interesting story to go along with the crazy bombastic action especially nowadays so um I'm not I'm a little saddened by this news but i'm not totally shocked after hearing the details about it but again this wasn't a film that i was overly excited about again it's also a january release in the middle of january but again after this past year where bad boys for life did really well at the box office and on that weekend maybe that could be a lending spot for other potential success stories to happen in the next few years i just don't think that would have been the 355 because as much as i love jessica chastain and all the leading ladies that are part of that incredible star cast, they don't have the same power or the same name brand as Bad Boys does or someone like a Will Smith teamed up with Martin Lawrence and that dynamic duo. So I think it's a different situation entirely. But again, I could be wrong and this thing could be a hit a year from now. So we'll just have to wait and see what happens. But I just think, again, not a whole lot surprising. And I think moving forward, this is probably the right situation, especially if the studios internationally think they have a really good shot of making a a profit in different countries than here in the United States, especially if Universal is willing to give up, not really give up, but not be so worried about the, the box office revenue of this here in the States and decide to put it on PVOD. So I think it's, again, it's more about where it's going to be playing and the success there, especially since a lot of theaters around the world are still in lockdown right now and probably won't be out of it till sometime next year. So what do you guys think about this news? Let me know and leave your thoughts. I'd love to know what you think. Do you think it was the right move for the 355 to move from 2021 to the same release window of 2022? And also, I do want to mention that because it moved to 2022, January 15th, it will be playing against Scream, the, the brand new film, the, the reboot, semi-sequel to the franchise that will bring back the big three of that Wes Craven franchise. But is it going to have stiff competition? Is Scream going to have stiff competition or is Scream going to blow the 355 out of the water? So I would want to know what you guys think of that potential box office battle that could happen and again it's still very far away so things can change in the year as we've seen 2020 do but just initially seeing that battle what do you think of it do you think scream 5 is going to win or or scream going to win or do you think the 355 will put up a little bit of a fight for the audience of scream i love to know what your thoughts are about that and the final bit of movie news that i want to talk about today is probably the the big surprise that came early this morning on good morning america and it was announced that taylor swift in secret filmed a concert film in a secluded area and i believe in in hudson i believe in hudson valley and she filmed it with the collaborators of her latest album folklore which came out during the summertime and it's going to be debuting on disney plus tomorrow so it's 
complete surprise on short notice and it was filmed with the with the backing of Disney Plus. Taylor Swift did direct this project and again it seems like it's very secluded and in isolation because of the quarantine with COVID-19 and it just seems like a very kind of laid back kind of a concert film kind of talking about Taylor Swift's inspiration for this album, why she wanted to create it, and kind of continues the role that she's been on with 2020 between Miss Americana, the new album, and just winning a few American Music Awards on Sunday night. And now this coming out along with Grammy nominations, which she just got nominated for six this uh, a few hours ago. So uh, she's on a, on, a, on a roll in 2020, even during this pandemic time period. And one of the interesting things that I found reading in the articles, and I love it when articles include what went on behind the scenes, specifically when it comes to the actual filmmaking aspect. And I'm again, I'm a diehard film guy. I love behind the scenes work. I love working with cameras and productions. And to kind of hear what was utilized for the production is so cool. And in the articles, they actually give the, the, the description of the film equipment that was used for the making of this film. And so it was said in the article that during the production, they used six Panasonic Luminex S1H mirrorless cameras with Lelica lenses embedded in the studio along with one Ari Alexa LF with an an, an Anenix 24 to 290 lens which is a pretty pretty wide lens on a Furbo robotic camera with more than 30 feet of curved track which again that that's really that's something to, to have that kind of dolly track for you to utilize around a studio is pretty interesting and again it's a lot of it is seems like it's stationary and if i had to guess a lot of the movement from what we see in the trailers is probably when they're doing a lot of the performances in their makeshift studio where they record the music so that's probably where a lot of the movements and and fluidity is probably going to happen with the camera so that to me is is really exciting and the fact that they used these ds dslrs i'm interested to see the quality of the footage which i'm sure is going to look top notch especially if it's coming out on a service like Disney Plus, it's going to be high quality content. And when you have those DSLRs, they can really put out some cutting edge 4K images that are just absolutely gorgeous. And again, you see, it seems like you get that in the images that we see in the trailer that came out this morning. So that to me is is really exciting. And one of the things that I think surprised me, and it wasn't, I, initially it was the fact that, oh wow, we're getting this toilet Taylor Swift concert film during the Thanksgiving Day weekend. Only Taylor Swift could be the one and or one of a few people with the name brand that you announce something a day before it comes out and you know it's going to be a hit no matter what. So first off, I think for Disney Plus, not I don't think this is going to reach Hamilton Heights, but this is going to be a huge spike for them in viewership and getting new subscribers, which is really what this is all about. And you're going to get a lot of the Swift fans to watch this film because they, they want to create content as well. And like how I was talking about with a lot of the Broadway fans, people that don't have theater right now, you get that extra audience with your already people that might just be interested in Hamilton with people that are already subscribed to it to watch it. So your viewership spikes, your membership spike, which is what Disney Plus obviously wants to do with this. So you're getting that swift fan crave, that fan group 
onto Disney Plus, along with people that might just want to tune into these songs and see how they were made and produced and just want something comfortable to watch this weekend, which it seems like with this album is something that is appropriate for that and is very calm and comfortable. And really, this album that Taylor Swift did, I'm not the, the biggest Taylor Swift fan in the world. I'm not a part of that group, but I do have to say this past album, I listened to it and I enjoyed it. It was different. It was slow. And I think, again, talking about that comfortability, just kind of listening to something and just enjoying it, having the family around, I think that could be utilized to a really great extent with Disney+. Plus. So it, again, it's a smart move on their part to have this playing during the holidays. It's a surprise, but again, you'll get people to watch this thing over the next few days, and I'm sure they'll advertise for it as well. And Taylor Swift is a big presence on social media that you'll get the word out for this film. The Really, the big surprise to me was the fact that this wasn't on Netflix. Because again, if you remember at the beginning of the year, Miss Americana, which is a documentary about Taylor Swift's last album, which wasn't folklore, but the album before that, it was about that last album. I think it was called Reputation. But if you're if you're a Taylor Swift fan or if you know the album that I'm talking about, let me know and, and correct me on it. But I believe it was Reputation. And it was about the creativeness of that documentary and Taylor Swift kind of coming out as an activist for LGBTQ rights and kind of coming out of, out of a shell a little bit and becoming the person that she is right now. So I was surprised that Netflix didn't pick up on this doc or Taylor Swift didn't go to them for this documentary. And one of the things that you could possibly say for why that didn't happen is, well, even though Taylor Swift was the topic of the documentary that was on Netflix, it was really it was somebody else's project. This seems like this 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 concert film was created by Taylor Swift. It was her idea. She got the people that worked on the album together and she maybe wanted to work with Disney Plus on this project. So I think that could have been one of the scenarios, but at the same time, I think Taylor Swift had some not not a whole lot of, of hands hands on in on this on this film, Miss Americana. But I think it had some good success on the platform that Taylor Swift would say, oh, well, Netflix has the largest amount of subscribers. People can go on and watch it. Or again, it could have been more of a business decision, which Taylor Swift is good at making business decisions over the last few years that she said maybe with the lower price count, with the family aspect of what this concert film brings, it just felt maybe more appropriate to put it on Disney+. Plus. So that could have been a conversation that she was having. So I wonder if there's ever going to be an article or she'll talk about it tomorrow because she has a exclusive interview with Good Morning America when they announced the, the announcement of this movie that she'd be talking to Robin Roberts and everybody else on the crew at Good Morning America. Maybe she'll talk about why she decided to go with Disney+. Plus. I'll Thinking about it now, she probably isn't because Good Morning America is a part of the Walt Disney Company, so I don't think they're going to actually ask that. If this was my podcast or some other person interviewing her that wasn't a part of the company, maybe they would ask that question. So I would love to know the answer for why she chose Disney+, Plus, why that streaming service. So 
I don't think she'll ever answer that. I'm not, I don't know if anyone would bring it up or if somebody writes an article about it, but I think it's a question that deserves to be not answered, but uh, deserves to be asked and is why Disney plus? Because especially when you had something that premiered on the bigger subscription service on Netflix, and it seemed like it was a genuine hit when it came out in January. So that was something that really piqued my interest when I first watched it and was kind of soaking in this news and reading more about it was why Disney Plus? And so I think that is something hopefully that is answered soon. If not, if I ever get to interview Taylor Swift one day, I will gladly bring it up to her and ask her about that situation. So again, I think this is going to be a big hit for Disney Plus especially with Taylor Swift's name attached to it. And again, only she could do this out of a handful of people, announce something the day before it releases, and still probably get people to subscribe to Disney+, Plus, to watch this on Disney+, Plus, and probably be a big hit for this Thanksgiving Day weekend, and give Disney+, Plus an additional thing for them to advertise over the holiday run, especially with Mandalorian, finishing up its back half now that it only has four episodes to go. So again, the thing with Disney Plus was that it it always had a thing of not having a lot of content, was kind of up and down. When it had content, it was a big high, but then it would have big lows. Now it seems like they are trying to keep momentum going. They have Mandalorian going every single Friday for the next few weeks right now. They have this coming out, so this will be a big hit for them in the next week or so during the holiday break. And you have WandaVision coming out in January, so you're starting to see more momentum moving forward. You're starting to see we're, we're keeping a flow going to the work steady right now. So I think that's a good thing for Disney+. Plus. I think that's one of the negatives I've always pointed out that they've had in their first year as a streaming service. And I think it's something that they know that they have and they are working on that. And it's going you're going to see improvement on that in the future of this streaming service. What do you guys think about this news of the Taylor Swift documentary? Are you going to watch it this weekend? Are you going to wait to watch it? I'm going to put out a Twitter poll asking about that. Let me know what you think and leave your thoughts. I love to see the interest you guys have in this film. And the final thing that I want to talk about today is... Wrapping up on film news, that's done and out of the way. Leading up to Thanksgiving, I want to talk about some films that are some films that you should check out during this Thanksgiving Day weekend. And I talked about Knives Out uh, last week, which I think is the number one film that you should watch on Thanksgiving Day or during the weekend. I think that is a film to keep as a tradition on November 25th and for Thanksgiving Day weekend. I talked about Queen's Gambit yesterday, which is a, a TV show, limited series, seven episodes, complete story that you can check out this weekend. And one film that I think I was looking up and, and I was thinking about it that is really a Thanksgiving film and it came out around Thanksgiving weekend is the Steve Martin, John Candy film written directed by John Hughes, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, the classic comedy from 1987 that is celebrating 33 years of being out for people to consume. And it is, even though it is a holiday film and it's, it feels like it's a, it's a Christmas holiday film, it really is a Thanksgiving film. It's about Steve Martin's character who is trying to go back to his family for Thanksgiving and he's stuck in New York. He wants to go back to Chicago, but he can't get on a flight. And so instead, 
instead he decides to hitchhike it with John Candy and they go on some crazy outlandish adventures as John Candy's character tries to get Steve Martin home for the holidays and it's just it's just such a fun laugh and, and, and it's just a fun time and I think again for people that are trying to enjoy the holidays right now I think the big thing about these this holiday season is just distraction. And one of the great things about the holiday season is that you it always provides a fun, happy distraction from things that are going on in your life right now towards the end of the year, celebrating the end of this year. And I think there's a lot to look forward to for, to next year, obviously, with what we experience in 2020. And I think for everything that has happened this year, planes, trains, and automobiles can just be a great throwback to just a fun time with two great comedic legends and Steve Martin and the late, great John Candy, and John Hughes, who was an incredible talent, especially when it came to comedy and then mixing it up with with teen dramedies with The Breakfast Club, 16 Candles, just to name a few of them, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, obviously. I think for planes, trains, and automobiles, it was a different avenue for Hughes in terms of being more not really just all for adults, but not featuring teenage kids and kind of just being more of a comedy in the vein of something like a Dutch, really. And I think that was a a fun aspect to really kind of be laid upon his feet. And he executed it brilliantly. And he created the story to this. He created the characters. And it has great chemistry between its two leads and Martin and Candy. And I just think overall, it's a fun family film to experience. And, and I think, again, for these holiday times, for Thanksgiving, you need that festive time period to get ready for Christmas or Hanukkah or Kwanzaa, whichever one you really celebrate. And I think that is some of the important things that these, excuse me, holiday films are really kind of geared towards right now and will give people some fun, interesting tidbits and, and just fun, interesting times for people to create some holiday memories and act as a distraction for everything that's going on in the world right now, especially in these time periods with COVID-19. So that's one of the films I am recommending people check out for the Thanksgiving Day weekend. I'll have one more to recommend tomorrow before signing off on Thursday and Friday for the weekend, but we still have one more show to go for tomorrow. So I'll see you guys then. And until then, that will wrap it up for this edition of the Sam Bissell Podcast. As always, everyone, thank you so much for tuning in. Be sure to check out my channel for more content. You can check me out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Radio Public, SoundCloud, and much more. Also, make sure to tune in onto the Ambiguous Podcast Solutions, and be sure to check out the other amazing shows that are on there, such as You Mad Bro, the number one source to see what the internet is pissed off about on a weekly basis. Also, check out goal-driven professionals geared toward improving client relations, return on investment, and customer acquisition costs for independent businesses and services. Also, check out The Daily Grind, a weekly motivational podcast with Kelly Johnson, give you everyday tips and key takeaways on reaching your goals. You can check these out and so much more on the website, ambiguouspodcastsolutions.com, also on Facebook and Twitter at Real Ambiguous. And if you want to check out Canopy Treehouse, use the coupon code ambiguous. Also, when you get a chance, make sure you follow me on social media. You can find me on Twitter at Bissell Samuel. That's B-U-S-S-E-L-L-S-A-M-U-E-L. And on Facebook at Sam Bissell. Thank you guys again so much. And until next time, keep on screening.